Good morning, my name is Katie. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The word of the Lord. My name is Martha. The New Testament reading is found in Colossians 2, 16 through 19. So don't let anyone judge you about eating or drinking or about a festival, a new moon observance or Sabbaths. These religious practices are only a shadow of what was coming. The body that cast, cast the shadow is Christ. Don't let anyone who wants to practice harsh self-denial and worship angels rob you of the prize. They go into detail about what they have seen in visions and have become unjustifiably arrogant by their selfish way of thinking. They don't stay connected to the head. The head nourishes and supports the whole body through the joints and ligaments, so the body grows with a growth that is from God. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Mary. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John 15, verses 4 to 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. So Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you speak to us. And we ask now as we open up the scriptures that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and our eyes and our ears to see you, to hear you, to be transformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Glenn Packiam. I get to serve as the pastor here at New Life downtown. Thrilled to see all of you in this place. It is a touch warm and stuffy, so keep those bulletins handy. You may need them to fan yourself. Uh, I'm not sure the district was ready with their cooling fans in the system. Uh, we, we we're in a series in the book of Colossians, and uh, this is actually part five of the series so far. And this morning, we're going to wrestle with the question of what it looks like to grow in Christ. How do we grow? And all of this a question about growth got me thinking about my middle school years when I really desperately wanted to grow taller. Uh, we had moved from Malaysia to uh, America to Portland, Oregon when I was 10 years old, and so I switched kind of the sport that captured my imagination was no longer a competitive badminton. Yes, that is, there is such a thing. You can YouTube it. Uh, and it switched to basketball, and so I was really into basketball, and the Portland Trailblazers were getting good as a team and all this stuff, and so I would go around the house, and I would jump to touch, like, the, the door jams, and I would try to, you know, touch the ceilings and stuff that, you know, middle school uh, boys do, and I kept trying to just jump a little higher in, in our apartment and my parents were like, okay, enough with the jumping and the slapping of the walls and the ceiling. But I became convinced that if I did this more, then I would grow. 
you know, that it would help me get taller. And so it was like, okay, I'm going to jump more. I'm going to stretch more. I'm going to reach more. That's going to help me get taller. And Brian was there in eighth grade, and he was taller, and he was a baller, and he might have had a girlfriend that he could call her, you know. I don't know, but I, I, I certainly didn't. And, uh, uh, but but I, 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 I sort of thought, okay, what, what would work here? You know, maybe I need to eat more red meats, or maybe this is the secret, you know. And then eventually I realized, you know, about a shade under 5'9", like that's going to be it for me, you know, the end of my NBA dreams. I didn't really have NBA dreams. Um, but as I thought about that, I thought that's a little bit like in, in here when we think about the path to wellness or, or, or physical well-being. And in Colorado, we kind of have a couple options. You know, we have one group of people that, that were really uh, uh, with the medical science community. And we say, okay, look, this is science and th this is the right supplements and these are the right uh, diet and exercise and it's a strict regimen. And then there's another group because it's Colorado that's a little bit like, oh, we don't trust the medical community and they don't really know anything. And we have this other more ancient arch that if you take this little you know, seed of a flower and the oil of a bat and you mix it together. And, then, and I'm, I offer this with no value judgment. I'm not criticizing one or the other, but it's just that here we have kind of these alternate paths to wellness, right? And actually, again, that's no different than when it comes to growing in our faith and in our walk with the Lord. We have one group that says, oh, what you need is more religion. You need more stuff to do and a regimen to maintain, and this is what you got to uh, keep up with. And the other group says, no, 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 what you need, it's not more stuff to do. What you need is there's more experiences to have. You got to have this feeling and this feeling and this experience and this expression, and that's what it takes to grow. And so one group says this, the other says that. And I think what makes it hard sometimes is these competing voices are, are, it's hard to distinguish which voice has credibility and which voice just has popularity. You know, we live in an age now where you say, well, so-and-so has a book that was in the airport and so-and-so was on TV and so-and-so has a million Twitter followers and so, you know, maybe they know what they're talking about and so we don't even know how to distinguish between popularity and credibility and this is such a wonderful, uh, uh, maybe even classic American thing. You know, I think of Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn where the Duke of the River comes and tells him that he's the Duke and he's the heir to some, the French throne or whatever, and, and they're like, okay, maybe we need to listen to this guy. Come to find out he's a river con man who's getting kicked out from town to town. You know this story, right? This is like the quintessential thing where everyone can sort of make up their own pathway, and we're like, oh, well, maybe we should do that. Oh, maybe we should do that. Maybe this is the secret. Maybe this is the secret, right? And as we think about it, maybe it's discouraging to think, oh, man, American Christianity is such a mess. But Maybe it's of some comfort to say, this is not unique to American Christianity. This has been the challenge for 2,000 years. And you go all the way back to the letter to the Colossians, and this is what Paul is addressing. And so a, a friend of mine who's a missionary in Turkey sent me this picture uh, a, a couple of weeks ago when he saw that we were starting this series, a little uh, a road sign that says Colossae, you know. And he said, you know, it, it's crazy because up the road there are these bigger towns that have gotten more attention from archaeologists and history stuff, and Colossae is just sort of there, you know. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of what all the commentaries said about ancient Colossae, too, that Paul's writing to this group of people in a town that people are sort of like, meh, you know, and, and, and they're a young group of Christians. Paul himself has never even visited them. They heard the gospel from one of Paul's uh, 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 um, associates named Epaphras, 
But Paul wants them to know, this is how you grow in Christ. And you're hearing all these competing voices around you. And so at the beginning of chapter 2, he starts to say this in verse 6. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. The same way that you received him is the same way you're supposed to walk in him. Be rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then he goes on, and it's all the verses that Amber taught on last week about don't, don't have these distortions of grace because someone will enslave you with that. And really, he's kind of using three different images. Last week, it was let no one enslave you. This week, he starts out and he says in verse 16, he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one pass a, come to a verdict on you in the questions of food and drink and with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And the image here is of a judge with a gavel that says, guilty or not guilty. And Paul's saying, don't let anyone declare you guilty or not guilty on the basis of what festivals you're keeping or on the basis of what food you're partaking in, on the basis of what drink you're taking. Don't let anyone do that. And that might sound a little odd to us, but in Paul's day, there were a lot of Jewish believers who wanted to hang on to a, a quite a bit of their Jewishness and their Judaism, their practices from Judaism. And so there was a group in the, in the church that was saying, listen, the answer is more Jewishness. You need to have more feast days and you need to be more rigorous about this stuff. Now, that may not be the challenge for us today, but how many of you know there are people that are saying more rules, more rituals, more conformity? And so I want to use the word today. It's a tricky word, but I'll define it for us. I want to use the word religion. And what I mean by religion is the rule, rules and rituals to impress God. There's a good use of the word religion. We'll get to that at the end of the sermon. But what Paul is addressing here is the kind of religion that looks like rules and rituals designed to impress God. And so it may have been in, in, Coloss in Colossae 2,000 years ago, it may have been about the rituals of the, from, from the Jewish kind of practice. But for us, it may look like all kinds of things. I, I, growing up in, in Malaysia, you know, my dad was from a Hindu family. And when he began dating my mom, she was a Christian. They began dating at the University of Singapore. And she basically said, look, I'm not marrying a Hindu. And he said, okay, fine, I'll convert. You know, best missionary dating story ever, you know. <laughs> we don't recommend this, but sometimes it, it works. And, uh, and, but, but a lot of his siblings, so my aunts and uncles, remain to this day Hindus. And, uh, and so we didn't do a lot with, with their side of the family, and largely due to the way that they sort of kept us at bay. But there were, there were things that we would see every now and again, even from Hindus around us, that, that embodied or, or really kind of uh, helped you look, see rules and rituals that were designed to impress God. You know, so some Hindus would be walking on hot coals to try to impress. Others would be piercing things in their bodies, just ways to sort of say, we need to uh, uh, um, uh, allay the anger of the gods or we need to earn the favor of the gods. Now that may sound very removed from our world, but we have our own versions of that, don't we? Our own versions where we invent rules and rituals that are not designed to help us love God, but are designed to help God love us. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a good, and we'll get to this, but I'm just foreshadowing it for you. There's a good kind of religion that helps us 
turn our hearts to love God. But the bad kind of religion is when we think we need to turn God's heart to love us. And so, and so Paul's saying, don't fall for that trap. But we do this all the time. Well, you know, what you need is you need to do this, this, this. And then God will listen to you. And incidentally, we're good at self-made religions, whether it falls into a denominational or liturgical camp or whether it falls in non-denominational charismatic camp, right? Some of you think, oh, well, I, I, don't, I don't do any of that stuff. I'm a, I'm a Pentecostal. Pentecostals sometimes have their own versions of religion. Like, well, brother, I don't know why you're not healed. Maybe you don't have enough faith. I don't know why God's not answering your prayer. Uh, perhaps you haven't fasted enough. And so we have our own rules and rituals designed to impress God. It's not just, it doesn't just look like incense and candles sometimes. Sometimes it looks like all of our, our other set of rules and rituals. Or, or, or to say, look, you should, you should, uh, God should be doing this and this and this for you. And if he's not, maybe it's your fault. Those are our versions of rules and rituals to impress God. Now, sometimes I think even for us, uh, we would never say that we believe this about God, but you know when it comes out for me is sometimes in the way that I'm parenting my kids. And so I would say, oh, no, 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 I don't believe that I need to perform to impress God, but inadvertently, I'm teaching my kids that they need to perform to impress me. I mean, parents, when was the last time you, you, you spoke a word of life to your kids that wasn't based on their performance? Like, oh, you know, Jonas, a oh, great soccer game today. Oh, good job, Nora, dancing. That's fine. But those are tied to performance. What if it wasn't a good game? What if they didn't? Like, like how are the, where are the moments where we say, son, daughter, I, I love you. You're so precious to me. Now, I want to train you to put your dirty dishes in the dishwasher. <laughs> right? It, this, this, doesn't, this doesn't forego training, but we're not approaching the conversations about behavior in a way that teach them religion. I mean, the scariest thing for me as a dad is that my kids are going to get their idea of God from how I'm interacting with them. And so if every time they fall short, because they're kids and they will, and last night I just had this moment, you know, where for the umpteenth time our six-year-old was walking around the house eating strawberries. You know, I'm like, honey, that is going to get everywhere. And then indeed it did spill on a couch cushion in a house that's not even ours. We're living in a friend's place for a couple months in between homes. And I was like, ah, honey, this from I told you. And, and everyone's looking at me like, dad, it's okay. Like, and then I had, to, I had to make it right and say, sweetheart, I love you. Like, it's okay. Like, I, like. We'll, we'll clean that up. It's all right. Uh, you're, you're precious to me. I want you to understand the reason why we want you to sit at the table is so we don't ruin someone else's things, you know. Um, but, 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 it's, but I love you, and you're mine, and you don't, need to, you don't need to perform well for me to be pleased with you. And this is the challenge for all of us, isn't it? Because we believe in a kind of Christianity that we don't need to impress God, but we parent in a way that says, you've got to impress me. I know, that's convicting. Okay. And then Paul goes on, and in, and in verse 16, he then says, he says, okay, let no one pass judgment. And then, and then verse 18, he says, let no one disqualify you. Let no one rule you out, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. I think the word for what Paul's talking about here is the word 
spirituality. The image here, first of all, is one of an um, um, umpire. And he's saying, what's this symbol right here? I'm not a baseball guy. You're out. You're out. Stretch. Strike. Strike, maybe. Or, yeah. Out. Strike. I don't know. Whatever. It's not safe. It's not the good one. I'm a football guy. Okay? But the image here, if the first one was an image of a judge, this is the image of an umpire. Let no one disqualify you. Let no one call you out. Let no one say, aha, strike against you. For what? For the lack of a certain kind of spirituality. And this is what I mean by this word. So the word spirituality can be used in, in lots of good contexts and lots of negative ones. I'm using it in a negative one to refer to exotic experiences that transcend or escape this world. Sort of escapist spirituality. A spirituality that, that is not about helping you love your neighbor as yourself, but a spirituality that says, I just want another escape from this life. I just want to sort of transcend this world, uh, an experience that gets us out of this. If outside of Christianity, we looked at Hinduism as, as an example of, of, bad, of a religion that requires us to impress God, then outside of Christianity, we might say, this is the sort of new agey hodgepodge spirituality. You know, where you're like, well, I don't really care. Maybe a little of Buddha, maybe a little of this, maybe a little Jesus-y stuff, you know. But, but really, the idea isn't the idea, after all, is a connection with the divine, right? And that's a kind of spirituality that says, I just want to sort of get out of here and just be connected to the divine force. It's Star Wars-y, it's New Age-y, it's ambiguous. It's like the, the, the person I, I, I heard giving a lecture a couple months ago saying, I'm a Buddhist Christian, you know, like, well, what is that exactly? You know, like, I, I don't understand, you know? And, and because Jesus, the characters, Jesus, Buddha, are almost irrelevant, the experience is the part that's essential. And so this person was like, as long as I can experience some sense of nirvana or peace or whatever, I really don't care if it's Jesus or Buddha or, or whoever, it doesn't, doesn't matter, right? That's the kind of spirituality that Paul's saying. Be careful of that. Don't, don't get caught up in that. But, you know, there are Christian versions of this too, aren't there? Just like we said, there's Christian versions of the bad, bad kind of religion. There's Christian versions of this. I grew up in, uh, around Pentecostal churches and went to a university, a Christian university, where, where uh, the gifts of the Spirit were practiced. And so much of that was so beautiful and so formative for me in such powerful meaningful ways, but I also saw a percentage of that, a small percentage of that, that skewed to the excess. And, and where it gets to the excess is where you start to say to people, unless you have these spiritual experiences, you're out. Did I do that right? You're out? Yeah. You're out. Right? Unless you have these kinds of spiritual experiences, bah, you're gone. You're disqualified. And so then it was like, well, for, you, you, know, you hear some versions of this, oh, you don't speak in tongues? Hmm. Disqualified. Oh, you, you, don't, you don't hear like the voice of God every day when you wake up louder than the birds, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Strike. Right? Like, oh. And then all of a sudden we create these hierarchies of spiritual experiences and we start to qualify or disqualify people based on whether they've had it or not. Paul's saying, I don't want none of that. I don't want you to have that in your church. That's the way of division. That's the way of, of tearing things apart. See, Christianity is both religious and spiritual, but in a very different way. Different, than, not in the way that we're thinking of. Now, sometimes we, we say, well, I got to get rid of all this stuffy religion, and I just want the spiritual high. And, 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 
And instead, the scriptures over and over again will direct us back to practices and rhythms and routines that we're supposed to embrace. And then others will say, well, I'm tired of all this spiritual stuff. I've been in such place where there's so much ex excesses, so many ex excesses. I don't want that spiritual stuff. I just want to go all the way to more formal stuff. And again, Christianity says, no, there's something true about both of those things, but it gets radically reshaped. How does it get reshaped? Verse 19. Verse 19, Paul says, the, the problem with those things, the problem with that kind of religion and that kind of spirituality is you're not holding fast to the head. How many times in Colossians so far has Paul called Jesus the head? A number of times. Jesus is the head of creation, the, the head of the church. And now he says, look, the head is meant to think in our minds. Head is not so much, I mean, yes, it is about authority, but it's also about source like the fountainhead, like what is the head of the Nile, right? The, the head, the start of it. And so the source, you've, you've got to hold fast to the source from whom, and then you get your clue right there because he says from whom, and this is source language, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Somebody say growth that is from God. That's the, that's the difference. This is not a growth from ourselves. This is not a growth from our own rules and rituals. This is not a growth from our own highs and experiences. This is a growth that comes from God, from God. And so right away we can say Christless religion and spirituality elevate and isolate the individual. If you're saying, well, how do I discern this? How do I discern if I'm being drawn into something that actually is not Christ-centered? Well, one of the signs of it is it elevates and isolates the individual. What, I'm, what do I mean by isolates the individual? It tells you it's all about you. It's all about your private growth and your personal betterment. And we don't, you don't need friends. You don't need a community. It's just you, you, you. Listen, the fruit of the Spirit cannot be practiced on a desert island by yourself. What is patience when you're the only one there? Right? And so the Spirit's work is always manifest in a community. The fruit of the Spirit's always manifest. So if you find a kind of religion or spirituality that isolates you, the individual, you're saying, wait a minute, this is excluding. And it elevates the individual. There's one great sage. When Gandhi was given the title of the, the Mahatma, or the, the great teacher, the great soul. It's because in Hinduism there is this sense in which there are some that are more holy than others. Christianity doesn't do that. How does Paul address this group of Christians in Colossae? He says, to the saints. So I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a saint. Paul's like, are you in Christ? Yeah, then you're a saint. We're not about elevating certain individuals and saying, this person's really holy, this person's extra holy. A Christless religion will elevate and isolate an individual, but a Christ-centered religion and spirituality will connect us to the life of Christ and to the body of Christ. It does both. It has a vertical dimension that goes straight to Jesus, and it has a horizontal dimension that connects you to your brothers and sisters. And so if, you, if you're in a, a form of of religion or spirituality that tells you you can ignore others and this, who cares, don't worry about them, you, 
you start to discern something real quick and say, well, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. This ought to manifest in more fruit of the Spirit, not to make that irrelevant. This ought to manifest in more love for Jesus, not sort of uh, an ambiguous kind of thing. I remember uh, a couple stories here. So when I was in eighth grade, uh, I had won this competition to kind of name our junior high youth group, and Brian remembers this. And, uh, and the prize, I think, was this cassette tape from a Christian rock band named Liaison. If you've never heard of them, I hadn't either. I was hoping for Petra, but I got this one instead. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember bringing this cassette tape home and, and playing it in the house. And I mean, the guy was screaming a little bit, you know, but it was Christian. And so, and so my... my <laughs> My dad, you know, my dad had kind of a radical conversion, and sometimes in those moments of a radical conversion, you're finding where you're going to land, but sometimes you land with a lot of rules that you think you need. And so, so you know, sadly, I mean, you look back at this now with regret, but, but sadly, when you're, you got rid of a lot of your records, like your Elvis records and some great records, you know. Um, but at the time, at the time, you're like, oh, this is what I need to do. And so, so when I brought home this cassette, my dad said, what, what is this? And I said, well, Dad, it's, it's Christian rock. And he goes, Christian rock. Yeah. He goes, what, what's next? Christian cigarettes? You know? <laughs> and it, it was just sort of like, how, how can this be? You know? So, but then, but then, to his credit, to his everlasting credit, wisdom prevailed. And he said, he said, son, I tell you what. He said, why don't you have this cassette for a week? And if after the end of the week you find that your love for Jesus is stronger, then go ahead and keep this cassette. That's good wisdom, isn't it? You can applaud him. That's good wisdom. It's great parenting. It's great parenting. And, and, and that's one of the, the beautiful ways that we can test this stuff. If someone says, hey, let's do this. And let's do this you say, well, okay. Is it resulting in a greater love for Jesus? Or is it resulting in more bondage and enslavement where I think I need to get God to love me, right? Which way is this working? And the other, another kind of story, a few years ago, I was at a conference and uh, a, a well-known worship leader was there and I thought it was great, never been in a setting where they've led before and the person stood up and said, kind of during the first song and just said, hey, I'm just here to be the soundtrack for your personal time with God, you know? And, I'm, and maybe this person did this because it was a conference. This is different than church. I mean, maybe that was the vibe. I, I don't want to uh, stand in judgment over this person. Uh, but it did strike me as a funny phrase because that's, that's where we are in so many of our modern worship settings where the idea is the worship team is just the soundtrack for your personal experience with God. You know what that's like? That's like going to the gym for a class, spinning class, yoga class, whatever the class is, whatever. And you don't really care who's there. I mean, it's nice if you see the same people over and over again at Orange Theory or Core Power or the YMCA or whatever. It's nice. But in the end, why are you there? You're there for yourself, right? That's the gym. That's not church. We don't show up at church and say, well, I'm just here for my own personal growth, and Susie, that's fine that you're there, and Joe, it's good that you're there, but just, just be quiet a little bit. This is about me and Jesus right now, right? The worship leader is not on stage to be the soundtrack for your private time with God. You can have that later. That's why there's Spotify and iTunes and I mean, whatever. Go ahead and do that. Like your, your phones work. Go ahead and do it. That is great. But when we gather together, together as the church, we do it for a reason. Because your presence matters. 
your physical presence matters. Yes. And if, if you can't be here in person, it's great to have the live stream, but the live stream is not a substitute for your physical presence. We need your physical presence in the room, right? This is why we're here, because it may be that I've come in discouraged, and I watch you worshiping, singing, oh, praise the name, and I think, oh, yes, he is worthy of praise today. And it may be that you come in another day discouraged, and someone else has a word that brings like We need one another. So true Christ-centered religion and spirituality will connect us not only to the life of Christ, but it will actually connect us to the body of Christ. The result of it will be that we say, I want to love my neighbor better. I want to love my brother and sister better. You don't walk out of here saying, well, I like that. I'll give that a 6.5, you know. This is about us connecting with Jesus and with one another. It's one of the reasons why at New Life Downtown, we do invite you to join us along the journey of the church calendar. So in a few months, it'll be the beginning of Advent, and we try to mark time for a stretch of weeks that helps us think about the life of Christ. But here's the thing. Some of you will have come from backgrounds where all of that stuff, church calendar, prayer, it's going to remind you of the bad kind of religion. If that's what it flags for you, don't do it. Don't partake. It's okay. If, if that's what it flags for you, don't fast during Lent. It's okay. It's all right. But if it can be a way that helps you to keep time around the life of Christ and to say, yes, now is four weeks anticipating his arrival. Now, Epiphany, we're thinking about him being revealed as the king. And now during Lent, we're going to humble ourselves even as Christ humbled himself on the journey to the cross. If that connects you to Jesus and connects you to the people of Jesus, then by all means, join in. But if it doesn't, then don't. It's okay. Nobody's going to disqualify you. No one's going to stand in judgment over you. I hope that's freeing to you this morning. Amen? At the end of this little section here in the letter, verse 20, Paul says in summary, he says, if, Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Regulations like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting, here's the phrase, self-made religion. The issue here is not the practices. The issue here is the emphasis. Is the emphasis about how you are making yourself, or is this about saying, I, I want to get connected to the life of Jesus? Because you can engage in spiritual practices out of both modes. You can do them as a way to impress God and make God like you, or you can do it as a way to say, God, I just want to be near you. I just want to put my heart before the waterfall of your grace. I just want to get closer to you. It's not self-made. And then he says, self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Isn't that what a phrase. They are of no value. The Greek for no value is no value. Like zero. But Paul's not saying, you know, I guess. I mean, sure, mix in a little of that. Mix in a little of grace. Mix in a little of... He's like, nah, it's not going to help you. Nothing self-made will lead to your growth. It won't. it won't. Jesus said it this way in John 15. He says, look, abide in me. 
as, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He or she, is the, that's the one that will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the way Jesus said it. Paul says this stuff, zero value. Jesus says, apart from me, nothing. You can't do anything. What is Christless will be fruitless. What is Christless will be fruitless. The power of all of these spiritual practices is not in the practice, it's in Jesus. It's in how it helps you abide with Christ. And so journaling, reading your Bible, Sabbath keeping, solitude, all of the beautiful spiritual practices, the power is not in the practices, the power is in the vine that that we are abiding in. Now next week, Paul's gonna list some practices. Chapter three, he turns the corner and he starts saying, practice putting off these things and practice putting on these things, all of that stuff. But don't be fooled. Before we even talk about practices, he wants to talk about the power. And the power is Jesus and stuff. What is Christless will be fruitless, but fruitfulness flows from Jesus. Fruitfulness flows from Jesus. This is why Paul begins this whole section by saying, as you received Jesus, so go on living in Jesus. And you think Paul is, he's realizing these guys, they heard the gospel and now they're asking themselves, all right, what's next? What else? What's 201? And Paul's like, there's no 201. Jesus. And they're like, "Mm, yeah, but what else? How about angels and stuff? And he's like, "Mm, Jesus. And they're like, well, what about like new moon festivals? That sounds exotic. He's like, "Mm, Jesus. I got the Jesus stuff. He's like, get him again. And again, as you have received him, so live in him. Amen? We heard last week, as Amber told us, that we, Christianity doesn't get us from bad to nice or good or a little better. Christianity gets us from dead to alive. So... How did you receive Jesus? Did you go out looking for Jesus? Did you go out and raise yourself up? You didn't. You were dead. You were dead. How did you receive him? Because he came to you and raised you up. So how will you live in him? Because I'm trying to impress you because I've got spiritual highs. No, how do we live in him? Because Jesus is the life. Fruitfulness flows from Jesus. This morning as you bow your heads and as we get ready to come to the table of the Lord, this is the reason for our practice. We don't come to the table because we're trying to impress God. We're trying, oh God, look how ancient and historic we are. We do Eucharist, you know. (laughs) We come to the table because we're saying, God, this is how it all began. I came to you empty-handed and you gave me your life. So here I am again, Lord. And we confess our sins. Why? Because this whole life in God began with us repenting of our sins and putting our trust in him. And so here we are again saying, God, I confess. I got nothing. We could really shorten our confession if we just said that. (laughs) Merciful God, I got nothing. Right? And, And thank you. You are everything. You are the source. You are the life. You are the one. So as we bow our heads this morning, let's prepare our hearts to come.
to come to Jesus again.